Well, it's a very good morning, and uh, my name is Dr. Cindy Siwe Fansale, at Doc Cindy, D-O-C-S-I-N-D-I on Twitter. And yeah, welcome to the Health Hour. This morning, I have a, um, a fantastic guest, Tando. Tando Luetu is a um, dietitian, and she's here to talk about food and just everything around, you know, diet and eating plants and so on. So yeah, very good morning to you, Tando, and thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Dr. Cindy. Okay, so just to go into it... Um, First of all, I always want to know, you know, why you ended up, why people ended up doing what they're doing. So how did you end up studying um, to be a dietitian or working towards to be a dietitian? Well, um, growing up, I've always been the type of child who was caring. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd have that concern for people around me. Um, so that's a, an element that um, contributed to me going towards the profession. And then in high school, I've just ha- I just had an interest a lot for the sciences, especially health science. And um, when you study health science and you got into the nutrition part, it would just be so fascinating to me um, how it impacts on how your whole body functions, taking it down to cellular level and everything. So that impacted on me um, deciding on a caring profession such as diet such as being a dietitian, um, which involved the nutrition element also. And so, um, in terms of subject at school, um, what did you stu- what did you have to take? And then um, where did you study? How did you you know the enrolling process? How does one become I'm a dietitian. Um, well, the, the um, subjects that you have to have are your science subjects. Mm-hmm. So it's your physics, um, it's your chemistry, um, and also your biology. You have to have to take your maths, and well, then it was called higher grade. I think now it's called um, proper maths. Um, and the process is you have to actually um, get a, a certain number of points. For you to be admitted into the faculty So okay. um, I had to go through Like it's a rigorous process Where um, from your trial exams You hand in your um, uh, marks that you got from there And then they shortlist you And then from there you'll find out Whether you're being taken into um, that course um, The university that I went to UKZN had a bridging course okay. um, For people who If they didn't qualify with the points Could at least for a year do certain subjects to make up for the points and then they'd be able to be admitted to um, the oh, okay. There. And how long was your course? It took four years. It's a four-year course. It's a four-year course. Oh, yeah. okay. And so what are you? What are they teaching you? What, what, what stuff are you learning during that course? I mean, I'm always so interested in the allied health um, professions. Um, the things that are covered um, during the time is your nutrition. Nutrition is covered from first year. Um, you do do physics mm-hmm. in the Oh, the I hated year. physics, Sando. Oh, my goodness. We did <laughs> physics in first year. Ah. Oh. Uh, I, I think it was worse for everybody. Um, like when you'd start, about half the class had dropped out by second semester. That's oh, how bad it was. Yeah. Um, so and then you look now, you're thinking, why on earth did I do physics? You know. <laughs> but anyway, let's not even go there. Oh, that's true. That's true. But um, do you do anatomy? Anatomy is, and obviously, as I'd say that I'm fascinated about how the human body is, how human body works. So anatomy was one of my favorite subjects, biochemistry, mm. microbiology also um, were subjects that we covered. And then in your third year, you start to be more practical. Okay. First, first year, second year, it's more um, the theory. Yeah, theory based. Um, and then we'd go to the hospitals, get to see patients mm. um, and do case studies on patients, which is a very exciting also scary part because yeah. sometimes um, patients would be very critical, you yeah. know, and we, it was a stage where we're still learning to deal with 
those emotions and being with a patient if the patient is in such a state, but not really expressing um, any emotions like in if you're feeling in front of the patient, yeah. you know, as a sense of respect for the patient, mm. you know. Um, so yeah, it, it was it from the from third year, fourth year was also um, a more practical based year then. Okay, yeah. And then um, from there, do, do you guys do do you do community service or internship? I mean, I know we had to do one year of comserve and a year of internship. Does the same apply to you guys? Um, internship is our fourth year. Okay. Um, so it's incorporated into your studies. It is. Okay, it is. that's cool. So, um, while you're studying, you'll go to the hospitals doing modules under supervision of another dietitian. Um, and then in, after that would only be then when you do your community service. There. And then from there you registered with the health professions council? Yes, yes. And then, and then from there you can start practicing as a, as a dietitian. Um, yes. Um, but even while we were still students, we were registered, uh, under the Health Professions mm. Council. Yeah. No, as students, yeah, but then yeah. from there you get your yeah. professional registration, then yeah. from there you can start working. Yeah. Okay. And then career wise, where have you worked in the past? Well, career wise, after my community service, um, I went into private practice mm-hmm. because I, I felt that I wanted to be in a space where I'd be allowed more freedom, um, to, um, explore, you know, um, and try out new things, be who I am, you know, um, and also, what is it, be able to give as, m- much patient care that I want to give. So I went into um, the private sector under Clinics Health Group. Mm-hmm. I was covering oh, Lucedi and Tepotemba and um, Salbi. I think Salbi was a Clinics Hospital. Yes, yes. Yeah. Salbi also covered as far as Sibuking. Um, they've got Naledin Kanyezi there. Oh, yes, I've seen that mm. hospital. Yeah. And the time that I joined, they also had a, a hospital in Kalinin also. So I was all over the place, basically. Um, so, um, Yes, uh, I was with the Clinics Health Group and I was covering the food service part of it there, food service management, patient care also, um, especially when it came to Selby because I was the main dietitian there at Selby. So I'd be able to see lo- a lot of patients do community work, which is a part that I really love and I'm very passionate about. So you're the guys that are behind that bland food that we eat at hospitals. Mm, <laughs> not really. <laughs> no, you are tangible. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, let's talk a bit about hospital food. I mean, why? Why is it so boring? I think it's, it's, it's only boring as a, because of the, I think it's like a communication breakdown in a way mm-hmm. between what is wanted and what the kitchen staff end up making. Because, um, what I'd find in my experience is that you would train and you'd give the information, um, you'd work hard to make standardized recipes. And then when the chefs get to do what they're doing and they're under pressure, they'll be like, no, I don't have time to add this and that. This is how I make it. And the problem was also the experience. You know, they've been too, um, hung up in the space where they, they're not exploring creative ways of making food and they, they don't have that passion also. I think that's something that's also lacking a lot with kitchen staff who work, um, in hospitals. They don't have the passion for what they do. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like they train chefs who really want to make sure that I get the best meal out there. So as long as they've done what they're supposed to and do the out. and the food's out, that's all they care about. I think that's the main reason why you end up finding that it's bland because healthy food, not bland. It I mean, you have to be boring. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. You've got fresh herbs that you can add, vegetables that add color and flavor. So it doesn't have to be boring. I mean, you know which patients I used to feel sorry for the most? The diabetic patients. Yo, when their <laughs> plates arrive, you know, you just look and think, oh. I would never eat that. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just so 
boring. Like, mm. and then they'd ask you, um, Dr. Nkali Saudi, and you're like, no, mama, no. You're not I'm a doctor. No salt. <laughs> and this person is struggling, and the family comes in, and they sneak in KFC, and they sneak in all this food. It was just a mess. It's, it's a headache. It's a headache. Because then that patient will never recover. They're there for a long time. Uh, it would just be a mess. So that's why it's best that people actually are passionate about what they do. Mm. And in that way, we get it right the first time. And they're able to make meals that are presentable, lovely, tasty. And people actually get to understand that to eat healthy doesn't mean that you have to add all these extra sauces and have to add a whole lot of fat, unhealthy fats, because, I mean... There's different types of fats that you can be using. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really something we need in that industry. And something that's close to my heart, um, when I tend to, is emotional eating. You know, I used to be an emotional eater. I mean, now that I'm, I'm on a, an eating plan, a lot of that has changed. But what can you tell us about emotional eating? Well, emotional eating is really centered around, um, trying to fill that space and that empty void with something. You know, um, and food is an element that adds like that high that gives you that high, um, um, in a way that would make you feel better for a certain period in time. And the certain types of food that really do give you that boost are usually high in sugar, high in fat. Mm -hmm. McDonald's. Uh, (laughs) I was. Some people binge on ice cream. (laughs) Well, okay, that is actually me. Okay, so Mina. Each time I felt I needed a reward for something, whether it was going to the gym and managing to do treadmill for 10 minutes, whatever it is, first stop after gym was McDonald's for a McFlurry. So mm. McFlurry was my reward for everything. Every small, if I managed to parallel park say I, I oh, no. somewhere and I parallel parked properly the first time around, I knew at the end of that day I'm going to get myself a McFlurry. And you're right, high sugar, it's addictive, mm, mm. you know, and, and, and so I found myself eating McDonald's three to four times a day. I mean, I, I had no, I mean, I have a McDonald's close to my house. I had no qualms zooting through the drive through a lot. I mean, the people even knew me, you know, mm. and I suppose it's only after I started eating properly that I realized that there's a lot of things that I was just, you know, rewarding myself for, for no reason. Mm, and, and it's just a, a bad habit, you know, with rewarding yourself with food. There's nothing wrong with rewarding yourself, yeah. but it's just the whole element of, thinking that the food is the right reward to give yourself and that you've got some right and privilege to just binge now because you've done so much and you've accomplished so much for yourself. So I I think rather than going that route, find other things that give you pleasure to reward yourself with. Or reward yourself with apples or something (laughs) healthy. Don't reward yourself with food. I yeah, think okay. food food is mainly for our nutrition, you know, and mm-hmm. we have to have a healthy relationship with food. You eat only when you're hungry. That's another thing, you know. It's not about um, there's a certain certain time that you're supposed to eat that. Yeah. Oh, eight o'clock is this is breakfast time. Even if I'm not hungry, I'm supposed to eat at this time. You're supposed to listen to your body's cues and eat when you're hungry. So if we're going to reward ourselves with food, that's just bringing an health, unhealthy relationship with food. I'm, I'm, and I'm really glad that you said that whole thing about eating when you're hungry because, I mean, my husband and I are both overweight. I'm, I'm very overweight. But the one thing that I vowed was that my children would not be overweight. So I actually listen to my kids. When my daughter mm. says she's done, right? Mm. I'm not even telling her about the kids in Ethiopia that are starving and she must finish her food. That's mm. how I grew up. Mm. When she mm. says she's done, even if it's after two spoonfuls, she is done and mm. I let it go, mm. you know? And she's mm. growing up and she's, she's a normal size and I'm really happy with that. And I can see how if I hadn't taken charge of that, yeah. I would be 
probably bringing up an obese little girl. Mm. And it actually starts even from very young age. You know, that's why we promote breastfeeding rather than formula feeding, because feeding from a bottle doesn't really help a child to regulate um, how much they're getting in, because it's just um, a hole that's in that bottle, and they'll just keep on sucking. They don't need to work very hard for getting the food in, and they'll just finish a whole bottle in a whole go without actually being able to respond to their body's cues. So small things like that assist children from a young age to be able to um, regulate their own appetite, basically. And it's also, I mean, now that you speak about children, I think it also reminds me of the weaning process that, you know, when you're, when you're switching your child from, from breast milk or formula only after the first six months onto solids, you have to be very careful how you introduce everything, mm-hmm. you know, or else you're going to end up with a child that's addicted to sugar at such a young age. I mean, I know that a lot of moms want to give their kids rooibos and, and baby juices. I mean, what do you think about that? Um, rather than that, um, we want to stick to milk as being the main form of drink for a mm-hmm. child up until basically until they two years. And mm. even then, up until five years, that's the best form of drink that you can give to a child because it's um, high in nutrient value compared to giving any kind of juice. Juice is very high in sugar. Um, if you're giving rooibos tea also, it's um, got sugar in it. You'd be adding sugar to that. And what's very important and crucial when it comes to babies is that they have small tummies. So if you're replacing the milk with that, the baby won't really have much space to get in the proper food that they're supposed to get, which has the nutrients that they need. So rather limit that really and focus more on giving um, the milk. And then once the child is, has reached six months and is above six months, you start introducing the solids then gradually from the starches, um, yeah, your bland normal starches, um, not your processed types of starch. Um, and from starches, you want to start with vegetables so that the baby doesn't um, get a sweet tooth and not want to eat vegetables. Vegetables are a very big problem when it comes to children. If you miss that step from the beginning, <laughs> you'll have a headache once they reach six years because you'll always be like, hey, Tabo, eat your vegetables, you know. So you just want to make sure that from that early stage, you introduce first the vegetables, then the fruit, um, and then um, you'd have your protein. By the eight to, to nine months, and then by one year, the child's supposed to be eating the same food that you're eating. So the problem, I mean, the problem that I find is that people want to give children, you know, yogurt and, 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 you know, noodles. I know. Two noodles. <laughs> I can't get over that. You know, what's that all about? I think, um, the main problem is knowledge. I, I've realized, you know, a lot of people don't have the correct knowledge. And when you watch, um, adverts on television, some people interpret them in another way than what it's supposed to be. You know, they'll see an advert and it's all about noodles and noodles goes out with protein. And then they think, oh my, this has to be the miracle food. And this is good for my child because obviously, yeah, they're showing it on, on television and they're saying it's, Moms, this is good to give to your children. You know, those kind of mixed messages really get people in the general public confused and they don't really know um, what's best to give to their children. And they think that they're doing what's right. But at the end of the day, it's impacting um, very negatively on the children. And then you end up with kids who are malnourished. I think, um, I mean, you know, you have having worked in the States, in the States, you saw a lot of, you know, kwashiorkor and marasmus. Mm. I, I think for me, I was, you know, Tando, I always tell people I'm a closet pediatrician. I would have done pediatrics. Mm. But I just saw enough horror 
to put me off. Mm. You know, I think mm. there's nothing as horrific as a child who has kwashioko and marasmus. And the mom, you know, like, you want to you want to throttle her. At the same time, you understand why she's in this, in this mess. What were your experiences in, when you were working for the States? Um, it would be the same. It would, it would really be the same. Um, but what I'd really realize is um, how misinformed people are. Like my heart really is, as I, as I said, that I'm passionate about community work, is really let's focus on prevention rather than cure. Um, you realize that there are many steps um, that actually end up influencing the children being there in hospital. Sometimes it is the mother's fault, sometimes it's not. Because you'll find that with working moms, she's taking the child to the crash. And, and at she the crash. She has no control over what mm, her child is being fed. Exactly. So she's paying money every month and assuming that the crash is providing nutritious food. That's a fact. Mm, mm, mm. You know, and we send our kids to crash and we are hoping that our kids are getting the right food. Only to find that the, the crash minders are just as clueless because mm. they're also misinformed. So really it's the, the part of we have to educate, educate, educate people in our communities to, and, yeah. And I mean, if you do have a child that's marasmic or has kwashioko, what are the steps to, to working the child out of that? You know, what were the steps that you were, you would recommend or what are the guidelines? Well, the general guidelines would be when a baby is admitted, we want to make sure that we just stabilize the baby mm. because they, they're usually very, very critical by the time they're being admitted, which is also, um, I think a problem that we need to address within the state hospitals that really, um, we'd be able to identify at a much earlier stage that this baby is, um, not just nice and plump, but there, there is, is something, something wrong. wrong, you know, um, that has to be identified at a much earlier stage. Um, cause when they come in, we have to stabilize them with fluids, um, make sure that they're not dehydrated, um, uh, make sure that the electrolytes are balanced and start immediately with feeding. Um, we might want to make sure though that with the feeding, we feed very cautiously. Okay. Um, the main formula that is, um, suggested is the F75 that we'd start with. Okay. So what's, what's, where is it from? What's F75? F75 is a high calorie. Formula. Okay. Yes. So, which is provided in the hospitals for kids who are malnourished. Yes. Okay. So yes. you can't buy it off the you can't buy it at the shops or anything. It's, no. It's for use by dietitians. It's, it's used by dietitians. It's specifically recommended just for hospital okay. use. You wouldn't find it even in your pharmacy store. Oh, okay. Like okay. That. And so, yeah. and so, so how many feeds of that are you giving a day? You know, what happens? And the number of feeds would obviously depend on the age and weight of the child. Mm-hmm. You'd have to calculate depending on that. Um, how many feeds? It would be recommended like six to eight feeds that the child should get within a day. Um, and the mills obviously depending on the weight of the child. Mm-hmm. And then you just monitor from that how the child progresses. And once the baby is beginning to gain weight very nicely, beginning to be more responsive, black smiling and I know kids uh, are the best. It's, it's, it's wonderful I once know, you see the them getting fine, you just know it. They're not pretending or trying mm. to get a sick note out of you. The moment they're fine, you see it. Yeah. Yes. And then from there we can start them on catch up phase then and introduce the F one hundred, which is a more high calorie um for and it's unlimited by then how much oh, you can give. give. Yeah, it's just as much as the baby feels it needs because by then the appetite is back and they just <laughs> want to eat and eat and eat. So Nathan has just sent in a question and he says that he eats even when he's not hungry. He just loves eating. Okay. Like what, what must happen? 
How much is he eating in a day? He just says he just loves eating. He's always eating. Is it like snacking? Like he's just taking small snacks or how's, how's it happening? Um, because like just continuous eating, I'd be very cautious about that because it would obviously impact, um, your health and your weight. Not, not very well, you know. Um, I think what it really need to do is just understand and f- focus more on what his body's Body cues are telling mm. him, you know, just eat. The recommendation is after you've eaten, give yourself at least 20 minutes mm-hmm. to just listen to what your body's cues are telling you. Am I full? Am I okay? Because another problem with eating a lot is that people like to eat on the go. Um, and that's where you get to get the binge eating habits that we are finding that are contributing to a lot of obesity that we have now. So we really want to, um, Encourage that if you're eating meals, sit down for a meal. Take time Ooh, to eat a meal. Oh, when you man. chew your food, chew and actually enjoy your food. You know, switch off televisions, anything that would distract you from actually being able to enjoy that moment and listen to what your body is trying to tell you. You know, I can't eat sitting. I promise. It's one of the things that my husband complains about the most. I just can't. Like, my plate will be in my hand and I'm standing in the kitchen and we're talking. They're on the table and I'm in the kitchen and we're talking through the door, you know. But it's a very bad habit. I need to sort myself out. I need to sort myself out. And in terms of food allergies, I get a lot of patients telling me that they're allergic to pork, they're allergic to fish. Um, yeah, what's that all about? Um, well, food allergies usually, um, they start from a very young age, mm-hmm. which is why we encourage, um, the, the way that we say that you should feed children from a young age, you know, because when you introduce protein, especially, um, when it's, it's, it's not really the right time to introduce protein, mm-hmm. um, that's where we find that those, um, proteins can cause, um, the, the food allergies that you'll find happening much later in life, you know, um, your, Foods that are usually um, the culprits. The culprits, yes, yes. Um, I like your peanuts, um, your seafood types of foods, um, even pork for others. Um, And we'd need to differentiate again from food allergies and food aversions. Some people just don't like certain foods and react bad to them, but not really that it's a food allergy as such. They just have an aversion to those types of foods. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. I didn't even know that. And um, and so what would you do in a case like that? You, I mean, the person would obviously have to label read and just stay away from those foods. Definitely, definitely. Um, that's that's basically what we'd recommend for them. Yeah. So in terms of weight management, I mean, I know that you do a lot of weight management. I think you you, you help patients whether it's with gaining weight or with losing weight, but primarily losing weight. If a person was to come to you, what would a typical um, consultation look like? You know, where do you start? You know, medical aid, cash patients. What would happen? Well, a typical consultation will start with first um, assessments. We do a rigorous assessment from um, the physical assessment, anthropometric assessment, like I take the measurements that um, I'm supposed to take the weight, your height, um, calculate the BMI. Um, we'd also take your biochemistry just to make sure that everything's okay there. Um, clinical assessment is also done. And also dietary assessment where I just want to find out um, how do you eat on a typical day, you know, um, what foods do you eat more often? That's like your food frequency that you'd want to check. Um, and then we'd set a goal weight from there. Cause I think, um, goal weight is very personal, you know, um, you'd know what your weight should be within your normal BMI, but 
your actual goal weight is something that is very personalized. And to get it personalized also assists the patient in wanting to reach that because it's their goal. It's not about me deciding for them that this is where you're supposed to be because sometimes a person might feel that they're under pressure and it won't really assist them in the whole process because when you face challenges, if it's something that you've decided for yourself, you'll know that, no, but I want this. I'm going to go for it, you know. Um, so we set the goal weight and then from there I'll draft um, the menu plan um, according to the patient's needs and Considering everything that I had taken in the assessment. So it's a personalized meal plan. It's not just general meal plan that you can download from the internet or something. And that's something that's, um, what I believe in, you know, that it needs to be something that you can work around. That's why we take your diet history also, that it's your food preferences, what you can actually afford and what you can actually work with. And then from there, um, I'd email that to you with guidelines on how you can follow through with the diet, email you tips on how you can work on that. And we'd set up a follow-up appointment for the following month until then you reach your goal weight just for that support that you'd need until the end. You know? That's so awesome. I like the fact that it's all personalized because I know that you know, my BMI, <laughs> what I should be. So at the moment, my BMI is like off the scale, okay? My goal weight, Mina Cindy, my goal weight is 100 kilograms, but it's still, it's still more than what it should be according to my BMI. But I, I think when I reach 100 kgs, I'll be very happy, you know? Mm, so mm. how, how, how would you, how would I work around that? Because obviously my BMI says I must be 65 and I don't want to be 65 kgs. I think my health already just the, 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 what, 17 to 18 kgs I've lost, my health has changed drastically. Mm, I think another, mm. a few more kgs to go reach 100 I'll be very I'll be happy with you know mm, with everything mm. I think you should celebrate every step of the progress really um, initially if we're looking at a lot of weight that you'd want to lose mm. we'd say first aim for 10% of your original weight so mm-hmm. let's say if you, if you are 110 kilograms We'd say aim for 11 kilogram weight mm. loss so that you don't feel like, oh my word, but when am I going to reach my goal weight or mm. when am I going to reach the ideal? Then you're able to celebrate and appreciate that, wow, I've come very far. And then from there, we take it another step until gradually you, you reach where you want to get to. You're fantastic. Yeah. But we'll be back after this to continue our discussion. Okay. I'm the future of South Africa. On my shoulders, I carry the hopes and dreams of generations to come. I'm eager to learn, but even more eager to use my knowledge for good. I know that it's not where I come from, but where I'm going to that really matters. At Sibanya Gold, we believe our youth is worth its weight in gold, which is why we are so committed to developing, nurturing, and grooming our young people into future leaders. Sibanya Gold. We are one. This is CliffCentral.com. Okay, well, we're back on Cliff Central with um, Tando, um, and we're chatting. She's a dietitian, and we're chatting about dietitians and just your eating plans in general. You can um, tweet us at cliffcentral.com, or you can tweet me at Doxindi, D-O-C-S-I-N-D-I, and you can tweet Tando. She's on Twitter, Tandomsomi, T-H-A-N-D-O-M-S-O-M-I. So, yeah, Tando, back to what we were chatting about. So, we've just spoken about weight management, which involves losing weight. What about gaining weight? 
Uh, well, with the aspect of gaining weight, um, we'd follow the same procedures, obviously, um, in terms of taking the assessments that we're supposed to take, because that gives us the foundation in which we can work on um, in terms of planning the meal plan for the patient. Setting a goal weight, um, we'd do the same thing. Um, but I think what's important when it comes to gaining weight is how do you gain weight? That, mm. That's a question that I've had a lot from people who um, feel that they want to put on a bit of weight, whether they were Women. Sometimes you'd think that as a woman with more flesh that a woman who's a little a little leaner mm-hmm. might feel that oh they've they've got the best body, but yeah, I tend to find that others which are around about like your fifty kilograms or so would come complaining like ah, oh, but I'm not happy with my weight, you mm. know I just just feel like I need a little bit more flesh, and when it comes to that, um rather than going for eating a lot of junk food and um trying like crazy methods of gaining weight, what we'd recommend is go for your healthy forms of foods and fats um in adding the the energy that you need on your food so protein would be good the good your good lean types of protein um adding a bit a bit extra of that to the diet would assist in terms of weight gain and also just a slight bit more um, in the healthy types of fats that it gets. So your nuts would be good to have, um, your extra virgin olive oil. If you're having salads, just add a little bit more there as a dressing to the salad. Like those healthy methods and assisting to gain weight rather than going for eating a lot of junk and foods that will, will assist you to gain weight. But we need to also look at the aspect of <clears throat> Being thin outside yet fat inside. There's um that whole concept, typho, you know, where sure. um although you might look thin outside, yeah. your body inside is actually working in a way of a fat person because of the types of um fats foods. Yes. The, foods the type of oh, foods yeah. that you're eating. If you're eating a lot of your trans fats and all of that, you know, it does affect your health negatively. That's why you can find a person who looks lean on the outside having high cholesterol levels and so on. So healthy eating really covers Across the whole board, it's not just for, oh, this person wants to lose weight. Even if you're at a lower weight, we'd want to encourage, eat healthy, because anyway, yeah. it does affect your health at the end of the day. Yeah. And in terms of, of, of people that are lean, I mean, what if that's just your body? What if that's just the way that you are? Um, I, I would say there's nothing wrong if that's just the way you are and you're happy about it, you know. Okay. Um, and so also it's thing. not, it's not you a thing. You need to be happy with what, what it, you know, what you like. Definitely, definitely. Um, and it's also not affecting your health negatively because mm. Um, concern would be if there are factors that are affecting your health negatively because sometimes you'd find in cases where people are very lean, you've got anemia and so on mm. and so forth underlying. And so that's where we have concerns that maybe we, we do need to take a little bit more of certain types of foods like your protein foods that are rich in iron to assist you to, to not have, um, those, those effects, um, that come with being very underweight. But otherwise, um, if, if it's not affecting you badly, I mean, we should always love and appreciate ourselves, really. Um, even for a person who is a bit overweight and wants to lose weight, I think that's a process that you really do also need to go through in loving and appreciating your body because you'll find that in the process of you losing the weight, if mm-hmm. you do not deal with the emotions behind who you are, how you look, your body image, you'll find that when you find yourself at the space where you've reached your goal weight, you'll still have those insecurities, you know, um, because that's more of the psychological element that comes in. So it's really important that people really appreciate 
um, themselves. So this, I've got a message from um, Clement. So Clement says that he's already lost um, 20 kilograms. So he's on a weight loss program. Okay. But losing the last 10 kilograms is so, so hard. You know, so what do you say about that? Um, I'd say probably you set a plateau. Mm-hmm. That does happen um, when you're on a diet. Um, usually it's because that you've become so used to the diet at times. And as a result, you're not really controlling your portions as much as you were before. Oh, um, you could be even cheating a little bit more than you were before um, as a result. So usually um, when it comes to that case, we'd say that we just need to revisit the, the diet, the eating plan, the eating okay. plan that he's on. Check his eating habits. I'd really want want to take a diet history again, just to see um, where the extra um, energy could be being taken in, and maybe even recalculate. Because what, um, as I'd spoken about, a personalized meal plan. And um, once you lose the weight, you need to recalculate how much energy intake you're supposed to be getting now at your new weight. Mm. So if you're still following that old meal plan, it could be what is actually causing you to just be on that plateau. We wouldn't. We want to recalculate and find out um, how much energy should he be taking in now to assist him further in the weight loss and also until he loses the last 10 kilograms. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the one thing that we spoke about, I mean, uh, during the break was addictive foods. Um, tell me about that, Tando. Because I, I know I was a victim of addictive foods, but yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the addictive foods, as we've spoken about, the highs that you'd get with emotional eating are usually your high fat and high sugary foods. Mm-hmm. So you, that's where you find um, a person being addicted to your takeaways and um, like sweets. I think sweets is a is a very big weakness with a lot of women. You always want to have the handbag with the sweets in it, or your drawer always has sweets there. You know, um, so. Th- Cool drink also um, is also another one in our communities that's a very addictive food. Yep. Um, Oros was my biggest weakness. Um, so when it comes to that, the best thing would just be rather really limit, limit it. Wean yourself off those and really don't have them as, um, as part of your regular diet. Don't even stock them, you know, because yeah, yeah. once you have them in your cupboard, that is going to be a temptation for yeah, you. Yeah, it's to true. Just and, I, and, I'm, and I'm happy that you've brought this up because mm. I was totally addicted to Oros. I mean, everyone knows I was tweeting about Oros. I used to dash with Oros. I'd have vodka with Oros. You name it, there was Oros involved. I'd go to restaurants and ask if they had Oros. And one of the things that, you know, so when I started eating healthy and eating better, one of the things I had to do was to stop buying Oros. But I carried on buying it because my kids were addicted to it. I was always drinking it. So Mm. whatever mommy was drinking, they were drinking. And so once in a while I'd have, like, I'd go for like three weeks, no Oros, doing very well. I'd have a sip, one sip, Mm. and I'd unravel for the whole week. Mm. Until Mm. eventually I was like, you know what? We must just stop buying this stuff. Mm-hmm. So my kids were whining and pining. They hated drinking water. But I know that I had done it to them, you know. So mm-hmm. I just sort myself out, drink more water. They see me drinking water. And now they can take water, mm-hmm. you know. But mm-hmm. we had to stop buying the Auras because it was still there. It was a temptation. And I loved it. I still do. But I, I know it's not good for me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, yeah, it's like to not have it in the house is Step one in terms of not being tempted, you know. And whenever you'd go shopping, you'd want to make sure also don't go shopping on an empty stomach oh, and so on and worst. so forth. Because <laughs> then you'll be tempted to fall for those sizes. I promise you, you had Woolies gauntlet. You know, you're walking and sight 
both sides there's just like sweets and the speckled eggs oh, and the jelly babies <laughs> and the marshmallows and they do it on purpose they, they, they place them strategically yes yeah. yes they place them strategically to just tempt you while you're waiting there in the aisle for your turn to actually go pay for your goods that you've bought so it helps it helps for you to just make sure you're eating healthy um, you're full when you go um, shopping also have a plan an idea of what have I come there for because if you get just going to come roaming around definitely you're going to leave with those those addictive foods and you know it also works for me yeah I now so initially I started doing online shopping okay because I realized that uh, you know the things that I was not getting over in terms of food mm. and then the next thing I just outsourced the, the shopping my cousin now does all shopping for our family because I know that if I go I promise you just <laughs> for me to walk past the Woolies Malva and cast it like it, it takes <laughs> a lot of effort for me to walk past that aisle. So I know I just and there's certain times of the month where I'm more vulnerable than others, you know. Mm, so mm. some days I can be fine, but other days I know oh today I'm feeling emotionally unstable. If I go to the shops, it's over, you mm. know. So that's what I've done. But yeah, Clement has just responded and he says, Yes, he's been cheating. So you were right. He's been <laughs> cheating, he's banting, he's been cheating, but now he's gonna be disciplined again. You know, okay. he's been sneaking in all the nice stuff on the side, you know. <laughs> and portion control. Tell me about portion control, Tando. Um portion control it's, it's another one big aspect that mm. is contributing to a lot of obesity, not only in our country, um, also internationally. We've had a lot of drives um, from 2014 um, when it's on Nutrition Week where we've been speaking a lot about um, portion control. Mm-hmm. You know, what is a portion? I think that's the first thing that we need to ask. No, I was told <laughs> that a, 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 a meat portion should be the size of your palm. Yes. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I don't see a quarter chicken fitting into the size of my palm. Exactly, which means a quarter chicken is then too much too much already. <laughs> it's either you want the thigh part of it or you want the drumstick part of and it. And not both. But not both. Oh my Gucci <laughs> 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 But yeah, so, yeah, okay, portion control. So yeah, d- so Palm of your hand. That's how much protein you should be taking. Yeah, that's how much protein you should be taking when it comes to your starches. It's about a cup uh-huh. um of your cooked starch. That should be a portion. One cup. One cup. So one so cup whether of it's your cereal or one cup. Oh my word. Um if it's bread, it's about it's one slice of bread that is a portion. Um so in in a time for females would recommend only two slices, about two slices of bread that you should be having. Um for men it's about three slices of bread. So it's not four, it's not eight, it's you not know. Six. They can go crazy when it comes to the bread. It's only about three slices of bread that should be a portion of starch at one time. And we're looking at as one serving of starch per meal. So it's not my three slices plus my cereal. It's Either or that we're looking at at a certain period in time, you know. Um, so those are the concerns really that you find, especially with the portion of your protein and your starch that we are not really following as, as a society. And especially when it comes to your food, your takeaways and so on. There, it, it just goes haywire, totally. It's a starch and starch and starch and, and all sorts of things. And, and a whole lot of protein, fats, the sauces, everything, everything. I mean, I'm, the one thing that I'm concerned about at the moment is just the influx of, of, of junk food franchises into South Africa. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, just McDonald's and I must admit, I mean, guys, please, I'm not even preaching, okay? I'm, I'm speaking as a former McDonald's addict. You know, mm-hmm. when Burger mm-hmm. King opened in Ravonia Road, I'll have you know, I was the third person in there. I started queuing at two o'clock. <laughs> in the morning I was so excited and I got there and there were two other guys there and I'm like hey and I, what, are you, what are you guys doing here so trust me I am a recovering junk food addict but mm. I'm like looking around us and as I said it was McDonald's then it was Burger King 
and now there's Domino's Pizza, and now there's Pizza Hut, and now very soon we're gonna have Krispy Kreme donuts, whatever they call it. It's just an influx. There's so it much. is so worrying. Mm, mm. You know. So what are you guys? What you know? What what are the, what's the Dietitians Association saying about this? What's going on? Um. Well, in terms of the Dietitian Association, my not from my knowledge, there's been a lot of drive in terms of children and schools, tax shops, and so on to prohibit um that junk food be sold there okay. you know um but i really think we still need to do a whole lot more when it comes to society you know um like as much as there's um tax that is added on to liquor maybe there should be tax for junk food that way people won't be so addicted to it you know there'll be an extra cost to it and people would actually want to go for more healthier options to foods rather than take eating a lot of the the junk food and takeaways i i really think that's a a route that we should consider with a lot of obesity that we see in our society. And also right just, now. just the fact that, that junk food is cheaper than vegetables. I mean, I know that, mm. you know, now that I can compare prices, mm. you know, um, vegetables are expensive. So mm. I've now, I, I now look for cheaper places to get veggies. I go downtown on Tuesdays, you have fresh produce in town. I'll mm. go there, mm. get my spinach and, mm. and greens and cabbage and so on. Mm. But, um, junk food is easy. It's accessible and it's mm. cheap. And I mm. think that's another thing that's making us eat more of it. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely that's true. But, um, on the aspects of vegetables, as you're speaking about your fresh produce markets, I think it's about where you go, um, to buy your vegetables. If you, um, go for more of your farmers markets, you get them at a much, much, reason- much, much more reasonable price than you'd get from your supermarkets. Mm. Um, but again, the accessibility, you know, we, we really need to make the, the food more accessible and more easily accessible really to the public um, than takeaways. But then again, um, another aspect that we need to look at, I think, is the onus on the person. That's why we need to educate because as much as we could make it accessible, it ends up being the person's responsibility that what am I going to choose? Am I going to go for the easier takeaways or am I actually going to go for the healthier foods? You know, So it's about us really getting people to realize, as I'd spoken in, in the beginning, healthy food is tasty. Healthy food is delicious. We just need to get ourselves out of the unhealthy foods which are addictive, as we've already spoken about, and which influence our taste buds badly also and really start to appreciate good, tasty, healthy food. Like once you've really appreciated healthy food, you'll never want to go back to eating food that's all the junk. And so we have feedback from Nathan. So Nathan says that most days, right, his breakfast is Five um, maguinha, five fat cooks, okay. two special, two white liver, and acha. And he finds that really irresistible, you know. So he now needs to change that. So, what would you recommend he has instead of that? Okay, you I mean, said it's, it's maguinha. Yeah, five, 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 five of them, Yeah, you know, two white liver, two special, one acha. And that's for breakfast? Yes. Well, rather than having that, I'd recommend um, carry a sandwich with him. Or cereal with Well, what if he doesn't have time? What if he's, you know, he has to rush to work, you know, because that's another thing as well. Mm. Time to prepare, to prepare food. I mean, healthy Mm, eating is a mm. fantastic idea. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, um, I'll tell you, it takes a lot of effort to prepare. So I now, I mean, I carry a scuff team to work, right? Mm, mm. But what it means is that the, at supper the previous day, someone has to pack it into my little Tupperware. I've got these gorgeous Tupperware. Yeah. <laughs> into my Tupperware, into my little cooler bag and into the fridge. Mm-hmm. It's, someone has to do that. You know, on a day that I've woken up late and I've forgotten my scaftine, trust me, I get to town and it takes a lot of effort for me to walk past Amaguinha and things like that. So, ah, it's tough. 
if you're short of time, what do you do? Short of time, a, a quick, easy breakfast that I could think of. Cereal, cereal is very quick and easy mm. um, for you to actually just hoi inside and go with it. Um, if not, if you a person who likes to buy on the way, you also find that you've got your fruit and vegetables that mm. people have there. You know, um, they they do sell nuts even um, in those areas. So rather go for the nuts, your avocado. Um, avocado your, is a good one. Yes. Yeah, even though I don't like avocado, but it's a very good nutritious um, um, snack to have. Yes, and it's, and in terms of expense, it's a yeah, three really fifty. Be, yeah, I mean, yeah a, a, really. one fed cook is one rand where I where, well where I buy them where I see them. <laughs> <laughs> and an avocado is three and fifty. And another thing as well that I found in town is those guys that walk around with ready boiled eggs and salt. Uh, there's a lot of guys walking up and down selling boiled eggs. And That's I, even much better. And the, yeah, on the days better. that I've forgotten my lunch at home, mm. three three or four boiled eggs with a bit of salt, and I'm sorted until until later on. Yes. You know, so that's also a better snack as opposed to eating amaguinia. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and the I in special. Yeah, but Definitely. I think the, the thing for me, Tanto, is that what really the message that I want to, to share from my life and my own experiences mm. with healthy eating is that we teach our kids what to eat. And mm. I am so sensitive now mm. to what I'm, I'm showing my kids because mm. I, you know, and I learned this, as I said, during the time when we we're transitioning out of Oros, yeah. my kids used to cry. They wanted Oros all the time. And mm. I had done that to them, mm. you know, mm. I had mm. done that to them. So what advice do you have for parents in terms of just passing on good eating habits to their children? You know, without um, making food too much of an issue. Yeah, definitely. Um, one big one um, that I had spoken about earlier, make um, meal times like family time. It has to be social, you know. We don't want to make eating um, as if it's something bad, something that you can take for granted or something like that. You really want to make it fun time, you know. Uh, children have a healthy relationship with food. So we want to make sure that as much as we can, I'd know that maybe during a, a work week for breakfast, you won't really have much time to sit down, but make sure that supper, TV switched off, you sit at a table and actually enjoy a meal as a family. Second thing that I'd advise also is allow your children to choose for themselves. I think that's another very big problem when it comes to parenting and giving food, that we decide the portions for a child. How do I decide that um, my child is a boy, so you must have four slices, oh, yeah. you know? Make sure that you've got the food available there at the table for them, but let them dish up for themselves, you know? And that'll be easier for them also to finish the food, because that's another problem that we have, where you want to force feed the child then. Finish, finish your food, and you'd already given them more than they supposed wanted. to have oh, yeah. and then you can actually encouraging them to overeat and they get into the habit of overeating which results in obesity so just let them dish up for themselves and they'll probably finish the meal much easier if they've dished, dished up for themselves and, and, and also what about eating out i think that's one thing where um i still struggle i think yeah, eating out is challenging. You know? mm. So I tend to go to Nando's because I know that their chicken is grilled and so on. Mm. Um, I stay away from places where I'd be tempted to eat things that I shouldn't be eating. Mm. What do you recommend for eating out? I know when I go to weddings, there's always something I can pick out of the display that they have. But mm. just say you go to a restaurant and they only have this or you go to someone's house and they only have that. What happens then? Um, well, I'll start with the restaurant. Yeah. Um, restaurant, you, you have um, the... What is it? The, the right as as a customer to say 
how you want your food to be made for you. Mm. So that's one you've, you've, you as a customer can really can ask them to dictate in a certain way. This yeah. is how okay. I'd like you to pre- prepare my meat for me or this is how I'd like you to make sure you make the chicken for me. Cause even at Nando's, if you want the skin off, you can tell them, mm. please don't put any skin for me. Mm. Um, so. That's one. Second thing is, um, there's what we call the a la carte menu. Mm. And also you can, you have the sides that you can choose. So oh, what yeah. we recommend is if the, the general a la carte menu does not include healthy foods, look at the sides. I mean, you can put together your own yeah, where you take, take the starter, which is the salad and you put it with the, the meat and so on to, to make a meal that is more balanced for you as compared to what they have available. That's an option that you can look at, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And when you're eating out um, and later you're visiting family and so on, there it becomes a little bit more tricky. It's easier for them since they know you to know which food preferences you do have, um, which really comes into play, especially for people who are diabetic and you're mm. hypertensive. You tend to find that um, they end up cheating a lot when, when, they, go out. when they go out. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's just that shyness or they, they just you don't, don't want, want to tell. You don't want to be tell. offensive. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to that, you, you can let people know that, hey, um, this is the situation. This is the situation. Yeah. Rather, um, let me not... Eat this kind of meat Maybe if you could prepare it for me in this way um, I think with society um, Having so many people Who are diabetic and hypertensive now People should be at a level Where they understand much better When it comes to that um, And are much better informed When it comes to that um, So that's what I'd recommend in that case But otherwise I guess you don't have uh, much choice. choice. Yeah, and I tend to, what I tend to do at work is to eat beforehand. So when I get to wherever I'm going, if I know that I won't have many options, I eat a little bit of what they have on offer, mm. and then I'm still within my my goals and my aims. Mm. But yeah, no, thank you so much, Tando. It was really fantastic having you. And where can we find you on Twitter? It's Tandomsomi, T H A N D O M S O M I. Yes. And if yeah, and if anyone wants to email you, how can they get hold of you? Um, my email is, I, I've got two emails. It's at tandolakemsomi at gmail.com or it's at nolutandods at gmail.com. And I'm also on Facebook. Um, there's a page that I have there. It's called Nolutando Dietetic Services. Um, and I'm just Tando um, Mabuza. Um, okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Unreal, uncensored, unradio. Cliffcentral.com.